This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Lucky you. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Dear Prudence show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Daniel M. Lavery. With me in the studio this week is Jasmine Sanders, a former guest on the show and a writer from the south side of Chicago. Jasmine, welcome back. Thank you. I'm excited to be back. So pleased that you're here, especially on a day where we are both just doing our best. Your headphones just broke. Yes. I just realized I was listening this morning to one of the most recent episodes of the podcast just to check and see like how the sound issues were working out. Mm -hmm. And uh, I realized sometimes when um, I'm getting an idea for a future answer, I'll write down a couple of notes. And in the regular studio, this works great. And when I'm recording at home, you can absolutely hear me every time I'm typing. So I was just listening to the whole podcast and then I just hear like periodically this little click, (laughs) click, 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 click. So that's not something I can do anymore. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. It's great. It was really, I think there's something really meaningful in being able to hear like the collapse of a particular coping strategy. Yes, it is. And uh, that was one. I'm also, yeah, I'm in a very um, open to imperfection and vulnerability mood. I had another one of those moments this morning in the live chat. Every like once in a while, I will misread uh, an answer uh, or like a question rather. <laughs> See, they're different. I'm mixing up questions and answers now. Um, and I'll like blithely give an answer and then someone will type in and say like, hey, you forgot that this person said not. And so your answer is totally wrong. And so this morning I had a question <laughs> from somebody who was like, I'm also on unemployment benefits. And I was like, you could try applying for unemployment benefits. And then a bunch of people wrote in to say like, this person has very clearly stated they are already on unemployment. I was like, well, right. that changes my whole answer. Thanks, everyone. Goodbye forever. Not forever. We should start the show uh, now that we've done the Danny self-recrimination power hour. Yes. Jasmine, how are you? I'm I'm here. (laughs) I'm good. I I think I'm as good as can be expected. Um, That sounds right. I have a candle. I bought flowers. I'm going to go back to sleep when I'm done with this. It's like the best you can hope for. That's about as good as you can expect from today, I think. Yeah. Would you read our first letter? I would love to. So the subject is not a zoo. Dear Prudence, I live in an old house in a hot new area. I take care of my elderly grandparents. I have chickens, an outdoor rabbit hutch, and have a cattery where my indoor cats can sun themselves and see the outdoors. The backyard is only partially fenced. My backyard is not a freaking free zoo. Since March, I can't tell you how many bored, rich mommies I had to tell to get the hell out of my backyard with their little plate carriers. I tried being nice, but I've literally caught these women standing by while their offspring tried to break into the structures where their off-leash dogs harassed my animals. One was having a goddamn picnic. I had to threaten to call the cops several times. It is stressing me out and stressing my grandparents out. We can't afford a full fence. 
Some weeks I can't afford to fill up my car. I am terrified of my grandparents getting sick or my animals getting hurt or one of the women lying to the police because private property is only for white people. I've lived here 15 years and never had my backyard treated like a public park. What do I do? I think the first thing that I would recommend this person do, there's there's a lot to address here. Yes. Right? There's a lot of affect. There's a lot of intensity. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of anger. Lots of which I can understand. Some of which I think will be useful to let go of. Um, but I do think that my first piece of advice is for this letter writer to look up what laws, if any, their city and state have about, quote unquote, attractive nuisances. Mm-hmm. Um, some states use that to refer to pools. Um, some states use that to refer to trampolines. I don't know if something like chickens or a rabbit hutch or a cattery would count, but there are some places where you as like the resident or homeowner could be legally responsible for anything happening on your property as a result of a child being drawn in by the quote unquote attractive nuisance. So mm-hmm. I would look that up first and foremost, because if there's any chance that you could be held legally responsible for any like accident or incident that happened on your property as a result of other people wandering onto it, I would want you to know about that um, so you can protect yourself as 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 well as you can. Yeah. I guess before I got to sort of near the end, my suggested fix was addressed, which is we can't afford a full fence. So, mm-hmm. I mean, in the short term, in terms of like, if you can't afford a fence, can you make a sign? Um, can you borrow boxes from people? Can you like put yeah. out a call for some lumber? Can you ask a friend, like anybody you know who's maybe at at all good at DIY. I don't know who built the rabbit hutch for you or the cattery, but if that person's in your life right now, that might be a great person to turn to and say, I really need help getting even a kind of um, awkward looking fence put up right now just because I'm having to deal with an unprecedented number of bored kids trying to get into the yard. Yeah. And also, I mean, we're in the era of mutual aid, maybe um, in the vein of what you suggested or Maybe there are some type of like resources available through your city or state to help homeowners. That's actually a really, really great point. I think especially if you're in like a quote unquote hot new area, it sounds like you're in a fairly developed city. Um, Mm -hmm. There's probably, hopefully, a mutual aid organization in your neighborhood. You might be able to get in touch with them and ask, is anybody available to help me put up a fence? I I think that would be a really, really good option. Um, Beyond that... Hopefully you're not uh, addressing these people as bored rich mommies or calling their kids plague carriers. I, I, <laughs> I don't know how much it's going to help you to think of these children as only disease vectors. They are no more or, or less likely to carry disease than other people. And also children can't help being children. I, I, I don't think it really helps to blame them for being small and having poor impulse control. You know, maybe maybe try to let go of some of that. Like, I get that it genuinely is awful if somebody, like, has their dog off-leash harassing your rabbits. That's I would get upset about that, too. But um, I also imagine some of the parents in these scenarios are not bored and rich. I imagine some of them mm-hmm. are stressed and overwhelmed and recently let go and trying to maintain a sense of sanity. Doesn't mean you have to say, like, welcome to my house. Come on in. Have a rabbit. 
but it's maybe it's maybe not the case that they're all having a great time at your expense. Yeah, I agree regarding, you know, calling the children play carriers. I, I'm sure you don't do that to their faces. But yeah, I guess the stress that I most pick up on this one or most detect is you're caring for elderly people. So outside of the like breaching of your property or disrespect in that way, it's like literally a health concern in some way. Like I understand wanting people to stay away from your grandparents and wanting those boundaries and borders to be respected. Yeah, I would say to that end, put that on the sign. Yes. Again, assuming your grandparents are okay with that, obviously they might feel a certain way if there was a sign that was like, they're weak and elderly in here. Um, But assuming that they're comfortable with it, I think including that information on the sign would hopefully go some way towards making people think twice before sitting down to have a picnic. The sign and the the fence is going to be really helpful so that you don't have to yell so often. Um, Beyond that, you know, you can at least then tell people, look at the sign, look at the fence, you need to go. Mm-hmm. you're allowed to do that. I'm really, really sorry. Um, yeah. I, I don't have a lot to add beyond that. I, I want them to like try to bear in mind that a lot of these people might also be in difficult circumstances, but I don't want to go so far as to say like invite them all in, forgive them. They know what, not what they do. They they must just really like need something. Like you're, you're entitled to be frustrated about this, but I don't think the cops are going to be helpful to either you or your grandparents. Um, and I don't think that's going to ultimately solve your problem. No, I don't think that's going to solve the problem either. So often it doesn't, yeah. Yeah, or rarely. Um, I would just like to say on a lighter note, as a recently minted rabbit owner, they're such awful pets. So God bless you for taking care of a rabbit because I personally am struggling. I wish I had known that you had recently acquired a rabbit because I would have saved up more of my rabbit questions for you. But yeah, sadly, that was it. That was the only rabbit question. This next one is still a classic. Um, okay. I, I'm just going to read this. I'm not going to editorialize. We'll get to the answer afterwards. Subject, forever living with mother-in-law. Dear Prudence, I'm a woman in my 30s, married to a man in his 30s. We've been together for over 10 years, married for four. He's thoughtful, kind, hardworking, and has a big heart. Before we got married, he asked if we could move in with his parents due to their health problems. He travels for business a lot, and they needed a caretaker. I get along with them and was starting college, so I moved in happily and rent-free. Sadly, his father died a year after I moved in. Years later, we still haven't moved out. I have a good job, and I'm starting to save money. My husband still has a job that takes him on frequent business trips. He's adamant that we don't move out. I love his mother. I know she has some health issues, but she's retired and gets around okay. He has never not lived with her, and I wasn't aware that this was going to be permanent. He told me that we were going to be living here until she dies. Hopefully that won't be soon, but that also means I'm going to spend my entire adult life living with his mom. He said I could move out alone and we could make it work, but would it? His mom is likable, and I care about her, but he's a total mama's boy, and the house isn't big. She makes all of his decisions and chooses what we eat. He runs every decision past her. I'm seeing him as her son and not my husband, and I'm getting resentful. I take care of all the chores, maintain the house, buy groceries, pay utilities, and I don't mind. I love helping out and appreciate that the house is already paid for and that I don't have to pay rent. I hate that I don't have a quiet space. She's very loud and has electronics on all the time. 
to decompress. I want to enjoy my young years with him. We have never lived together, just the two of us. He said that one day, maybe we could build a place above our garage and live there while she lives in the house. But now he changes the subject if I ask about it. How do I talk to him about this? Or am I the problem? In my heart, I know I'm lucky to live in a house that I don't have to pay for, but instead I'm resenting both of them when they're not doing anything wrong. I think that's a very generous ending um, Yeah, uh, that neither of them are doing anything wrong. I think we can maybe leave room here for both of them are capable of sometimes doing things wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Can we Can we agree on that? I agree. So in some ways, this seems like you're kind of well-suited to this guy because you're you're actually like really happy to do all the chores, maintain the house, buy groceries, then let your mother-in-law decide which of the groceries you're allowed to eat. It, like all you want is like a room where you can chill out sometime and the possibility of living over the garage with your husband someday. Like your goals are very modest given the situation that you're in. And in a lot of ways, maybe you and your husband are kind of ideally suited for one another. Yeah. But I do think, yeah, it's it like, I think your husband has made it pretty clear he's never going to not live with his mom, right? Yeah. I mean, if you've lived there since basically your whole, like since you were courting almost until now. Doesn't that seem like, is that not, I don't want to, I'm not placing blame, but isn't that the type of thing you discuss before you get married? I do I do think there was a real missed opportunity here because um, you, it sounds like he's avoiding this kind of conversation as much as possible, but he has said enough to like clarify it. By the way, if you need to move out, that's fine. So he's really like letting it be known where he stands on this issue. But yeah, I'm so curious. Like you moved in with him and his parents. You assumed that it wouldn't be permanent, but you never really like pushed for a conversation with your husband to say like, how long do you envision us doing this? And I don't say that like that was totally your fault and therefore like he gets to do whatever he wants now, but I'm just curious why you avoided that conversation before you got married. And I wonder if part of the reason was because you were afraid that the answer was going to be something like you can move out if you want. Right. I have completely been there before, like in a scenario where free rent is well, in this instance, it's probably not the main. It sounds point, like a pretty big but consideration. Like a pretty big, yeah, a pretty large consideration. And for me personally, they're all they're both times where I stumbled upon that luxury and that like incredible privilege, especially like currently, like at this time, right? It, there always came a point where the free rent was not worth it. Right, you're paying for it in other ways. Oh, usually immensely. Like there just came a point where, um, especially you mentioned peace of mind or just like needing time alone or just being, I mean, this is like, obviously like someone who's older than you and has a different lifestyle and, you know, you said she's loud and has electronics all on all the time. So you can't decompress. And there are, I mean, in the sense of like loyalties, it seems like, like it's going to be those two and then you. You know what I mean? Like he's made it pretty clear that like, if this is a problem for the letter writer, she can move out. And so I think that gives you a sense of how much you can expect from him in terms of compromise. Now, if I were in your situation, 
I would say enjoy living with your mother. I will send over the divorce papers when my lawyer has finished drawing them up. But it's a great time for a divorce. This letter writer seems interested in at least trying other things first, which I think is fine. Like we could, we we are allowed to have different priorities here. So the the kind of first issue is the question of like, how do you establish some space or time as yours in, in this house? Um, are you entitled to do that even if you don't pay rent? And I think the answer to that is quite obviously like, yes, you contribute mm-hmm. a great deal to this household. You are entitled to like speak to your mother-in-law kindly and say like, do you mind turning down the TV or I'm going to take a nap for part of the afternoon. Do you think we can like talk about turning some of the electronics off or asking her to speak quieter? Like all of those are polite, normal, allowable things to say to someone you live with. And you don't have to um, assume that they're rude just because she's quote unquote not doing anything wrong. Right? Yeah. Because not rude doesn't mean nice. Or even even if she were nice, that wouldn't make it in some ways more desirable to you. Like at a certain point, no matter how nice she is, you just don't want to be there or you want your own or need your own space. Right. So there are certainly ways that you can advocate for that, both just separately, like with her in in the capacity of like you're both housemates without necessarily having to go through your husband. Um, But then there's also, I think, that question of like, I'm seeing him as her son and not as my husband. That's a bigger issue. And while I think you have every right to raise that issue with your husband, I think you should be really prepared for him to say like, yeah, I do see myself as her son before I see myself as your husband. And are you okay with that? Like if you push on this issue, if you say like, when it comes down to it, I would really like to live together, just the two of us. And he says, I'm not willing to do that until my mother is dead you may find that there's not a lot of room for compromise there. You may find that hearing that is actually really, really painful and you realize you don't want to play second fiddle to your mother-in-law for the rest of your life. I don't, you know, I can't answer that question for you, but I think you have avoided having a kind of like come to Jesus conversation with your husband about this for a long time because you're afraid of what the answer would be. And, And I think you should, without saying like it's an ultimatum, her or me right now saying like, do you ever see the two of us living together just the two of us while your mother is still alive? Or do you think that that's impossible? Can you ever imagine a situation where you would bring a problem to me before you brought it to her? Can you ever see a situation where you and I would plan what we wanted to have for dinner without asking her permission first? Yes. And, and you know, really taking his answer seriously. And if he says like, nope, none of that sounds good to me, you know, then you get to ask yourself, can I live with that? Yeah. And also perusing the letter again, I've I guess it's sort of sunk into me how much time it's been. Like mm-hmm. you, mo- you moved in when you were starting college and now you're in your 30s. You've been together for over 10 years and have never lived alone or like lived with just the two of you. It mm-hmm. feels a little critical. Like I think I would, yeah, I think I would have to talk to him about it. And also set a date, like ask for a date. Yeah, yeah. Ask for a date. Think about do you want to be doing this five years again from now? And just ask again, like you say that you buy the groceries and she decides what you eat and when you say that you don't mind that because you don't have to pay rent, but maybe ask yourself that question again, giving yourself permission to say, maybe I mind sometimes I'm entitled to mind these things. The fact that I don't pay for rent doesn't mean I don't have the right to have opinions about how we live in this house. And good luck. These are really hard, painful questions. 
let's move on to a totally different problem that I'm so excited about. Would you please read it? Yes. The subject is constant piano playing. Dear Prudence, my roommate is a concert pianist who was furloughed because of the coronavirus. I am working from home. She spends eight plus hours a day practicing, even though she's not going to be playing in the orchestra for the foreseeable future. I have asked her not to play while I'm working, which she respects, but then she'll start practicing after 5 p.m. until I go to bed. I know she's trying to compromise, but the constant piano music in the evening is grating on me. My question is, is it reasonable for her to keep practicing when she's furloughed? Am I the jerk here? What can I do to mitigate the situation? This is not a problem I hear a lot of. I do not get a lot of questions like this. Yeah. She said that um, she respected your wishes to not play while she's playing. Like, I don't get at all your argument that she's not going to be playing for the foreseeable future. Like, don't those muscles like atrophy or like, shouldn't she? Like, I don't understand your argument. Right. That, she that was really practicing. like, don't stay at the top of your craft. Like, concert pianists definitely need to keep practicing. She can't yeah. just like let herself sit idle until someday they're like, okay, everybody back to work tomorrow. And she's like, oops, I forgot Mozart. Yeah. Or the other guy. What's his name? Um, the second Beethoven. guy? Beethoven. Yeah. Beethoven. Yeah. Um, yeah. I will try to imagine a world in which having someone like play beautiful concert piano music from 5 p.m. until bedtime is a problem. Right. It's hard for me to imagine, but I get that life is a rich tapestry and different things bother different people. So I'm sorry that you do have to deal with a sound that is not relaxing to you, but you, you've already asked her not to play when you're working. She's given you that. She's not playing at two in the morning. You know, I think this is a pretty reasonable compromise. And I think that you need to, um, whatever you can do to mitigate it now, it's going to involve something like, Powerful earplugs, noise-canceling headphones, closing the door to your bedroom, figuring out other solutions, taking a walk. Like, I also wonder if it's just one of those situations where because you are or because we all are confined to the living space that every annoyance is magnified. You know, not only technically because you have to spend so much time together, but just everyone's nerves and fuses are so short that you're like, oh, one more scale and I'm going to lose it. But right. It's just doesn't sound that bad. I don't want to minimize, but yeah. I do understand that like when you two moved in together, she probably did most of her practicing at her rehearsal space. And so there's just a big difference between signing up to live with someone who plays the piano professionally versus like five hours a night, you're listening to the piano as you unwind. I I get it. I, I guess be grateful that she's not a beginning concert pianist, you know, like at least she's good. But yeah, I really do think there's a there's a limit to how much you can ask her to not play. This is her job. She does need to keep on top of her game, even if she's been furloughed. You know, figure out what things you can do in your own time and in your own space. And if it's really driving you nuts, take a walk. And um, I don't know, like maybe like once or twice a week, if you're having a really difficult evening, if you can ask her to like wrap it up early, but do so cheerfully, politely, and with the understanding that she might say no. It's kind of all I got for that one. I wish there was a concert pianist living in my building. Me too. I did once live um, under someone who played like the trombone. Oh, trombone's a totally different question. Yeah, that was not. Yeah, that was different. Yeah, that, I, I would I have a very different very answer good. if the question was yeah. my roommate yeah. plays the trombone. But this yeah. was not about the trombone. I don't like the trombone yeah. as much as it's I the like the piano. piano. 
Okay, so the subject of this next uh, letter is, how do I explain to my parents I write erotica for a living? The answer to which I'll just give you a spoiler now is don't. Um, yeah. <laughs> dear Prudence, I am 22 and live with my parents. I flunked out of college because of the abysmal state of my mental health at the time and now live in my childhood bedroom. A couple of years ago, I wrote the first chapter of an erotic fiction story and posted it online. People not only read it, but really liked it, and they even asked for more. As my stuff became more popular, I had the idea to solicit donations via Patreon, sell requests, and even put a few stories behind a paywall. I now have the money to actually move out, but my parents are going to wonder where I got it. They're hardly Puritans, but well, mom and dad, people pay me to write masturbation fodder on the internet is a difficult conversation to have. I am mortified by the idea of them reading it, especially some of the kinkier stuff, BDSM, sex with monsters, borderline rape fantasies, and other things boomers probably struggle to comprehend. Should I just tell them I sell drugs? No. What is it with the questions this week and like, how do I humiliate them? How do I tell them I sell drugs? Like, Don't tell them. In what world do you think your parents respond better to mom, dad, I sell drugs than? I mean, I think that was like an attempt at a joke, but it it didn't work. You're right. Should we start by... I just want to throw this out there. I don't think that boomer age people have never heard of BDSM, monster porn, rape fantasies. Um, That's not something that like 22 year olds recently invented. Yeah. I get that like your parents hearing that you write about it might have a particular kind of reaction, but like people. It's all about them being your parents and not because they're boomers. Right, like people in their 60s and 70s are aware of BDSM. Like, read up on the history of like the Mr. Leather competition. Like, sorry, I, I'm getting distracted, but like older people, you didn't invent sex. You didn't invent erotica. You didn't invent monster porn. You didn't invent BDSM. How do you think you got here? <laughs> but yeah, this is a non-issue. Um, you don't have to like prove to your parents in writing where you got the money to move out from. All you have to say is like, Mom and dad, I have the money to move out. I'm planning on doing so on such and such a date. Thanks for the help. And if they're like, wow, where'd that money come from? You can say any number of things like I've been saving or I've been doing some copywriting online or I've been doing some freelancing, whatever generic made up thing you want to tell them. And if they're like, wow, right, like there's so many bullshit answers that are like vaguely true that you could give them. I'm a little surprised that you immediately went to, if I want to move out and put a down payment on apartment, I'm going to have to show my parents my erotica and they're going to want to read it. Yeah. Sorry, I feel like I'm being very hard on this young letter writer who is anxious and 22 and like very recently going through a difficult time. Letter writer, I, I don't want to be a jerk to you. I'm so glad you were able to find work that you enjoy doing. So glad you've been making money at it. I think you can be a lot easier on yourself and also give your parents a little bit more credit or at least their generation a little bit more credit. I agree. Um, I also think that because you are so young, like you're you're not a millennial. What are they? Like iGen or whatever? Generation Z? Zillennials. Yeah, Generation Z. Yeah, they're the Zillennials. What works to your benefit is that not only for you guys, but also for millennials, most of our employment is so precarious and odd anyway that it like 
you could just tell your your parents you're a freelance software hacker. Copy editor, ghostwriter, technical writer, the kind of boring writing that like they wouldn't be like, oh, where can I see it? It would be like on a manual for a lamp you can only buy in Sweden. <laughs> yeah. So does that make sense? Like it works to your benefit to the letter writer's benefit yeah. that so many of Absolutely. our jobs are so precarious and like odd sounding anyway that your parents would be like, oh, okay, you work for a, a like it's fully feasible that like you work yeah. for a plant Instagram or something. Yeah. And it's like, well. And another thing that will work in your favor is the fact that tons of people who do any sort of like remote sex adjacent work, not that I'm describing this as like sex work in the sense that you have the same like concerns and needs as, as other people in that community, but like maybe contact other people who you know write erotic and be like, hey, if people ever wonder about this source of your income, what do you tell them you do? Like people have fake names for that sort of thing. They have backstories. They have cover stories. Like this is a common problem for anybody who makes money from like writing or producing any sort of erotic content. You are not alone in this. People have been coming up with plausible cover stories for a very long time. Including boomers. Including some baby boomers. Anyway, sorry. Again, I'm being really hard on this person who's doing their best in a difficult situation. We have good news for you. You don't have to tell your parents you write erotica. You don't ever have to tell your parents that you write erotica. Yes. All right. Um, I think that's it, right? We solved that person's problem. I think so. Um, This next one, I'm very excited that you get to read and not me because it's um, a real humdinger. Okay. The subject is, is there a polite way of inquiring about the mental health of potential partners? Dear Prudence, after quarantine is up, I'm going to be actively dating. My last serious relationship and the briefer one before that were both marred by the mental health issues of my partners. I was always supportive and flexible with him through it, but I did get extremely, it did get extremely draining. And if possible, I would like to avoid situations like that in the future. I feel very much for all the people close to me who have mental health struggles and try to support them, but I just can't be someone's caretaker again. Neither of those last partners really let on before it was late, aka the relationship was deep, that they had these issues. I am wondering is there, if there is a way to politely non-judgmentally ask potentially new partners if they struggle with their mental health before I catch feelings. I imagine there is not, but if you had any perspective, I'd love to hear it. Do you have any perspective? Well, you know, I, the mentally ill, have, I, I guess the start, of, the start of my question, my counter question would be, what do you mean by mental health? Like, do mm-hmm. you mean an actual diagnosis? Um, you're, it's kind of like vague language to where it feels stigmatizing, but, you know, I could just be feeling attacked wrongfully. But um I'm wondering if what you're talking about is particular diagnoses and disorders, or if you just mean like generally depressed, you know what I mean? Like you don't define what you're talking about. When you say mental health, you count stress as like a a mental health issue because then that's everyone. Right. Or like unexpected grief. Like what if you date someone who's like, no, I promise you I have perfect brain, no problems. And then the next day, like half their family dies in a bus accident. Like, you can't perfectly control for always. Like, I'm with you too. Like, my first instinct was to read this question as somebody who's like bordering on like a eugenicist approach to dating, which is basically like, I only want to date someone who I can categorize as mentally normal and anyone else I need to to weed out. And even 
going that far, like even with just that very simple step or that simple like qualifier, like in a country where the majority of people don't have health insurance or health coverage or have recently lost theirs, are you demanding like medical proof or like self-diagnoses? Like what are the criteria? Right. So yeah, I, I think that that can be helpful in the sense that I think the current, the kind of like plan that you're attempting to come up with right now has a lot of flaws in it. Yes. That said, in terms of what I see in this letter that I do want to try to help this person with is like, you can absolutely come up with an idea of what do you want in a future relationship? Like, I want a partner who has a robust support network outside of me. Like, I want a partner who either sees a therapist regularly or has in the past, um, who, like, is on top about going to whatever doctor or psychiatrist they might need for any, like, um, medication needs um, or just general health, who has lots of close friends they talk to regularly, is able to express, like, anger relatively appropriately, like, has their um, emotional support network kind of in place, ready to go so that you're not their primary or sole source of support. Totally reasonable to look for in a partner. Yeah. And then another, I agree with you that um, these seem like issues that were um, maybe particular to those people, you know, like um, when you say you were a caretaker, that just Mm -hmm. sounds like someone who, maybe relied too much on their romantic partner to help them through these particular things. Right. Right. And so absolutely fine to say, I don't want to be somebody's primary caretaker, but your leap from that to, should I be screening people for mental health issues? No, lots of people with mental health issues have robust emotional support networks, know how to look after themselves and have developed really good strategies. So the thing that you want to look for is somebody who's not looking for a caretaker. Now, unfortunately, people don't just like say on a first date, by the way, what I really want out of a partner is a caretaker. So six months in, all of a sudden, I'm going to start falling apart on a daily basis and expecting you to carry me. Um, But that doesn't mean you can't kind of like keep a weather eye out for it, mention that you really value a certain degree of like mental and emotional independence in a partner. Um, If at some point they're leaning on you a lot early-ish into a relationship, you can absolutely say, I'm not able to do that for you. All of those things are available to you and will be able to be used in your quest to not be someone else's caretaker. You can absolutely avoid being someone else's caretaker in the future. Uh, I just don't think you can do it by saying, hey, take this mental health test first. Yeah. And then I guess part of the issue is, well, part of um, what could be an issue is, again, because I, like the language here is so vague and I'm assuming that you would present it to the other person, the question as vaguely, do you struggle with your mental health is kind of a loaded question. Right. So you would have to rely upon again, like someone's own barometer or someone's own measure of their mental health. Right. And it's sort of like those, I love those memes on Instagram. Those like, can a depressed person do this? Like make a cup of coffee. And so, yeah, there, I don't think as to the essential question, which is, is there 
a polite or non-judgmental way to ask. Well, you're asking a judgmental question. Like you're literally looking to make a judgment on whether you see this person as fit for dating or continuing to develop a relationship with. So I don't think there's a non-judgmental way to ask what is a hugely judgmental question. Yeah. Better questions have more to do with like, and again, these aren't all like first date screening questions. You can't be like, what are the five things you do to take care of yourself when you've had a difficult day? But there's certainly ways to both directly and indirectly attempt to learn more about somebody's like inner life, right? Or their emotional life or their support system. There's ways to talk about those things. So some of what you're looking for is totally achievable. Some of what you're looking for is totally understandable. Some of it, the like, maybe I can screen out mentally unwell people, mentally unhealthy people, or I can find somebody who's never going to go through grief or trauma or a bad period in life. Not that I felt like exactly that was what they were asking for, but I I worry that that could potentially become the next thing is like, if you are looking for a relationship of like some emotional depth and duration, you might go through a season where they need maybe not everything from you, but maybe a lot from you. And so, you know, I totally understand why you wouldn't want that to be your primary dynamic, but I hope you can be open to the possibility that like somebody's not out to fleece you just because like three years into a relationship, they have a really rough couple of months and need you a lot. Yeah. And that's the thing is like the question, even if you could whittle it down to be something more specific or more pointedly um, reveal what you were looking for in the manner that you were looking for it, you can't predict future mental health. Like you can't predict whether they're just undiagnosed right now. Like then would you feel like deceived or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think just the answer is basically really what you're looking for is a person who knows their strengths and their weaknesses knows who to turn to for professional help when they have need of professional help, is able to appropriately distinguish between things you can reasonably expect over the long run from a partner, from a friend, from a therapist, from a medical professional, and knows how to kind of like adjust accordingly. That you can find in a lot of different kinds of people, maybe some of whom would even have diagnosed mental health issues. Yes. Agree. Okay. Last one. The subject is sex in communal co-working space. Dear Prudence, I'm a woman in my early 30s and I recently secured a desk in a somewhat unusual co-working space. There's a large front room with desks for co-working, a middle room for a jewelry making company, and a back studio with a kitchen, couch, and fold-away bed. The landlord lives in another state. Her main employee is a woman in her mid-20s who also acts as an unofficial building manager. Let's call her E. During lockdown, E and I have been the only ones using the space. Yesterday, E told me she'd be taking a nap in the back room and asked me if I needed to access the kitchen before she closed it off. I told her I'd probably be leaving in the next hour and didn't need kitchen access. Shortly afterwards, as I was wrapping up my workday at my desk, I heard what was definitely people having sex in the back room. I thought I heard some sex noises a week ago, but wasn't sure because I was also listening to music on my headphones. Now there was no doubt. She is sleeping with her boyfriend in the back room regularly while I am there. I feel very disrespected. I pay $250 a month rent at this space and consider it a unique but professional space. As far as I know, both she and her much older boyfriend have their own places. I don't know how to confront her about this. I feel very awkward bringing it up, but I also like this space and want to keep it. 
feel like if I don't confront her soon, she'll continue to have sex with her boyfriend at this space. But I don't know how or what to say, and I'm pissed as hell. Rightfully so. <laughs> I mean, I feel, you know, I, I understand why it would feel uncomfortable to hear, you know, the only person you co-work with having sex in the back room of your co-working space. I also feel like the whole, like, I pay $250 a month to not hear sex in this building is like... right. It's a bit much. That's true. Because even if you didn't pay, just the fact that it's a communal space means that it should be respected as such, you know? Yeah. So I don't think there's like a financial point at which it's like, after $150, I will not, I am not hearing sex out. You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. I mean, like, I feel like my answer to this is just going to be pretty straightforward. Wait until you're not pissed as hell and then just say like, hey, this is really uncomfortable, but I heard you having sex in the back last week. Please don't do that again. Yeah. You know, all, literally all you have to do is name the thing. You're not the weirdo for bringing it up. You know, she then gets to carry more of the embarrassment of like, oh, people heard me having sex at work. That's literally all you have to say. And if she's like, if she gets really flustered and is like, I don't know what you're talking about. It wasn't me. You don't have to say anything. You can just be like, cool, I'm going to go make myself some coffee. Like, you don't have to get drawn into an argument. You can just be like, please don't do it again. Yes. Right? Like, is I don't know. Is there anything I'm missing here? No. Just, yeah, she's in her mid-20s. I was going to say that since, you know, all the bookstores closed, I guess there's nowhere for, like, young people to have sex. But- well, only one of them's young. You know, he's old. Presumably he's got oh, a yeah, place they can old. go to. But maybe he's old and married and he can't have her over because <gasps> of social distancing. I mean, that was my assumption is that he's married. Oh, my God. Total speculation. And like, yeah, I I think file this away under like a minor irritating problem rather than like the most shocking thing that's ever happened to you. Like people – not infrequently try to get away with having sex at work. Yes. You have every right to object to it and put a stop to it, but don't think of it as like the most shocking thing that's ever happened. And you're the only person that's ever happened to just be like, please knock it off. I agree. Um, I think, I do think that it's one of those things where like the embarrassment will be enough to get her to not do it anymore. Yeah. It's one of those things where like, all you have to do is be like, Hey, I can hear you having sex knock it off. Like you don't have to say more or less than that. It's fine. Um, it would also be fine if you just like wanted to ignore it and leave, but you don't have to ignore it. You're under no obligation to like be cool with it. Tell her to knock it off. Agree. Um, Jasmine, do I have your permission to address what you just texted me on the yes. air? Oh, good. Because I also used to work at a Borders and people absolutely also had sex at the Borders, which is what you just texted me. Yes. I worked at Borders Bookstore. And my boyfriend and I used to like have sex in like the kids section because because oh we were teenagers. To be fair, we were children. Like these are grown people. I don't know what they're doing, but yeah. we were like teenagers, and the kids section was always empty. So it was like you know, like kind of secluded. So it was like Doo-doo-doo. so yeah, yeah. Customers All would say, sometimes yes, I'm hook up at the sorry. borders. I mean, it wasn't my favorite part of working at the borders. I, I like I'm not suggesting like the whole world. Everyone should just be having sex wherever. I just mean like. Sometimes people have sex at work and, you know, you can be like, you know, spray them with a little water bottle. Yeah. Yeah. Jasmine, thank you so, so much for coming on the show five minutes after your headphones broke. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. Of course. Enjoy going back to bed. Yes. And you enjoy the rest of your day too. 
thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash Dear Prudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. You don't have to use your real name or location. Keep it short. 30 seconds. A minute. Tops. Thanks for listening. Here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. If you want to, in that last conversation with her, like really elucidate the ways in which it is cruel and shitty and involves reveling in her good fortune, you have my total permission. But like, I think honestly, the most humiliating thing is just going to be being found out uh, and letting her know like your weird, creepy little blog vlog series about me is pathetic and you suck. Like that's, I think she's going to be stewing in her own juices for a little while after this. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash prudipod.